Well, brothers and sisters, please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're just going to be looking at one verse this morning, just verse 7 of chapter 3. But please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. And we're going to read verses 1 to 7 again, just to kind of set the context for this passage. And of course, Peter is here addressing both wives and husbands and talking with them about their particular roles in marriage. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. It, it strikes me as we read the passage just how countercultural what we've just read is. How different the biblical viewpoint for husbands and wives is based on what we hear in the media and in the surrounding culture. We live in a, a culture that is increasingly uncomfortable with talking about many things, husbands and wives, and very uncomfortable talking about distinctions, distinctions between men and women between male and female. Many people in our day believe that a person's so-called gender identity can be divorced from his or her biological sex. There's a 2017 article written by a gender studies professor named Colleen Clemens, and she had this to say. This was the claim she made in one of her articles. She says, researchers have shown that there is very little difference between the brains of men and women. While gender identity is a deeply held feeling of being male, female, or another gender, people of different genders often act differently, not because of biological characteristics, but because of rigid societal norms created around femininity and masculinity. And brothers and sisters, we need to acknowledge that that is a, that is a philosophy that is increasing rapidly in our culture. These are the truth claims that people are hearing and they are believing so according to Clemens, men and women aren't so different after all. And the fact that they actually do act differently, well, that shouldn't be attributed to any kind of biological difference that may be there, something that you could actually test and see and look at under a microscope, perhaps. But instead, it's just because there are these rigid societal norms that they feel like they must live up to. And of course, those that are involved in gender studies would tell us that, that they should not do so. They should not try to live up to those societal norms. Instead, they should express themselves in any way they want. So the truth claim that is being put out in our culture very, very loudly, it's a megaphone, and it's being put out very, very loudly, is that men can be women, and that women can be men, and that both men and women can be something in between the two. It's a little confusing in some ways, but when you think about it, what they're saying is really, really important for us to understand as Christians. Because they're saying that the source of truth that we're supposed to embrace and live in is not anything that we can see in God's created order, but it's what I feel about in myself. It's my deeply seated beliefs about who I am 
That's what's true. It's my emotions. That's what's true. It's my feelings. That's what's true. They channel in some ways their inner Shakespeare that say this, to thine own self be true. And they're very serious about it. And we need to understand that they're very serious about it. And we also need to understand that the Bible speaks the opposite word to us. We need to understand what the Bible teaches about the issue of gender and sexuality because God is so kind, He has not left us orphans in any area of knowledge that's necessary for us to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. And the Bible tells us about who we are as men and women. He tells us about male and female. The Bible teaches that both male and female are created by God. Men and women are made by God in the image of God, both equally with equal dignity before God, and they are made male and female. That means that there's no substratum of humanity belief, male or female. You're either made in the image of God, male, or you're made in the image of God, female, and there is nothing in between, and there is nothing below. That's the message of the Bible. It's something that you can actually observe. It's something that you can actually see. You can actually test that in reality. Contrary to what modern gender theorists espouse, the Bible teaches that it is not virtuous at all for a man to behave like a woman or for a woman to behave like a man. Instead, the Bible is very clear because, listen, we have to understand this is nothing new. Uh, the behavior is nothing new. It's been around ever since the fall of mankind into sin. The Bible tells us it's not virtuous for us to behave as if we are the opposite sex. Instead, the Bible says that it is a sinful perversion. It speaks a very clear word. And why does it speak a very clear word? Because God is the judge. And we're going to have to stand before him and we're going to have to explain how we lived our lives and why we lived the way we did and whether or not we submitted ourselves to his truth or we tried to make up our own truth. And don't make any mistake, that's what's going on. People are making up their own truth. The Bible teaches us about these things. Many in our day, because of their understanding of men and women, male and female, they are very hesitant to assign any kind of a role. They say, you can do whatever you want in society. You can be whatever you want. You can fulfill any role you want. But the Bible actually teaches, and this is also very countercultural, that God has made specific roles for men and women within the context of marriage. So the husband is not to take the role of the wife. The wife is not to take the role of the husband. They actually both have defined roles that the Bible lays out for us, and they're supposed to follow the roles that God has laid out for them. They're to follow God's plan for the home. And that's what we've been studying. So the first six verses that we read, here's Peter speaking to the wives, and he's explaining to them their role in marriage, how they're supposed to live with their husband in a way that would, would actually bring grace into the life of their husband and honor God. And then this morning, we're just looking at verse 7, this one verse that he gives instructions for the husbands in marriage. Now, he could have said a lot more. We husbands, we certainly need all the instruction and all the help that we can give. But here we have God's inspired verse for us husbands to think about this morning about the role that we are to play. And we have a role. Men, we have a role. And the role is that we are to lead in the home. But oh, we have to be so careful. Because sin, listen, men, sin twists everything. It twists everything. So when the Bible says that men are to lead in the home, many people in our culture, they hear, well, men are supposed to be tyrants, right? They're the ones that really matter. They make all the decisions. They just kind of lord it over 
No, that's not at all the picture you get of the kind of leadership we're supposed to exhibit as men in the home. Actually, the kind of leadership we're supposed to to do or to perform is a Christ-like leadership of laying down our rights and our lives for the good of the brides that God has given us. Now, it's a high calling for women. It's a high calling for men. And it's God's wisdom that we're looking at this morning as we study this verse. So we're continuing our study in 1 Peter. We're continuing to think about the ways that the people of God are supposed to live in the world. How are the people of God supposed to live in the world? Well, Peter's been taking us from kind of passage to passage, talking to different individuals. He spoke about how we are to live under the government that God has placed over us. We're to show a submissive attitude towards our government. And he talked to slaves in the first century and gave them insight into how they were supposed to live under the authority of their masters And last week, of course, we were talking about wives and how wives are to relate to the husbands that God has given them. And we saw that in each one of these categories, God says that there's supposed to be this submissiveness to the authority that God has placed over them. But now this morning, we're looking at the issue of how husbands are to live. And the issue for husbands isn't one of submission. Actually, the issue for husbands is how can you use your authority, husbands, in a way that will bless your wives? in a way that will serve your wives and your children if God has given you children. Husbands are to use the authority that God has given them in a home in a way that brings honor to God. There has to be, brothers, there has to be a God consciousness as we live our lives, keeping in mind that God is the ultimate authority. And so in a very real sense, there is submission here. The submission is to God, our Father, who wants us to live well, with the wives that he has entrusted to us. We're going to study this passage using two points, two points from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, God's instruction for Christian husbands. We'll see that in the first part of verse 7. And then we'll see the reason Christian husbands should obey God's instructions. And we'll see that in the second part of verse 7. We're going to spend, just so you know, kind of set the trajectory for you, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time this morning talking about that first point, And then we're going to cover that second point more briefly So don't panic if we're going long on the first point. Let's look at the first point. God's instruction for Christian husbands. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. So here Peter's addressing husbands, instructing them how are they to live with their wives. And notice the first thing that he wants them to do is to live with their wives in an understanding way. That's the instruction that he gives them there And then he also says that they're to show honor to their wives because their wives are co-heirs of the grace of life. Kind of those two themes are going to flow out of this part of verse 7. So let's look at them one at a time. So Peter talks to the husbands and he commands the husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Well, in the original language, that phrase, in an understanding way, actually it means according to knowledge or it's literally translated according to knowledge And so the idea is not merely that husbands should be kind or thoughtful towards their wives, though they certainly should be. They should be kind towards their wives. But really, he's talking about more than that. Men, he's talking about the responsibility we have to study and know our wives deeply, to understand them, to understand their makeup so that we can live with them in a way that is pleasing to God. And in particular, Peter brings out this one aspect of who our wives are when he says that the Christian husband needs to keep in mind that the wife is the weaker partner in marriage. Now, to our 21st century Western ears, that sounds quite offensive, doesn't it? So what does Peter mean when he says that wives are the weaker partners 
in the marriage. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean, and then let's talk about what it does mean. It doesn't mean this. It does not mean that women are less intelligent than men. It certainly doesn't mean that. The Bible does not teach that, nor do we experience that in our lives. In fact, those of us who have been married for a while, well, we've had countless reasons to thank God for the good minds that he has given our wives. They've saved us a lot of trouble. They've saved us so much trouble over the years. It's also true, I believe, that women have kind of an emotional intelligence that sometimes men lack, where women are able to just kind of pick up on relational cues that we men, we just kind of, you know, blindly march through. They can kind of pick up on that, and they help us so much in terms of our relationships. It doesn't mean that women are less intelligent. Uh, it also doesn't mean that women are emotionally weaker than men. Now, it is very true that men typically do better on a battlefield than women do. That's true. But women's emotional strength actually shines through in many, many different ways. Just in my own life, I've seen it in my wife and just kind of the amazing emotional strength she has to deal with the enormous stresses of, of raising children or interacting with children. It, it's amazing to me how she's able to just kind of push through when I have long thrown in the towel. And she's able just to kind of push through and help and make it better. And what a blessing that is. And if you doubt that, just wait until you have children. You'll see it in your own life as well. Nor does it mean that women are less valuable than men. And this is the one that I really want to kind of hone in on because our culture struggles with this idea that there are differences between men and women. Why? Because they think that if you say that there are differences between men and women, you're implying somehow that one is better than the other. One must be better than the other because they're different. So is that what Peter is saying? Well, no, it's not saying that at all because that's not true. Now, some of you have heard this illustration before. It's the best illustration I've heard to kind of uh, explain this reality that differences do, does not mean that one is better than the other. I want you to think about a hammer and a teacup. Now, we would all agree that a hammer is harder than a teacup, but does that make the hammer better than a teacup? Well, hammers are great for nailing nails into wood, right? But hammers are lousy at holding a hot cup of tea. But a teacup, it's great at holding the tea, but what? It's lousy at hammering a nail into wood. Why? You see, it's not that one is better than the other. They're actually different. And when they're used in the way that they're designed to be used, they're, they're both excellent for what they are for. So differences do not necessarily imply that one is better than the other. It's the same with men and women. Men and women are different. They're designed differently. They're created differently by God. And so one is not better than the other. When Peter says that the wife is a weaker partner in marriage, he's not implying that women are less valuable in any way. It's just that they're different. And we need to understand how they're different, husbands, so that we can live with our wives in a way that honors God. So what does it mean, right? If it doesn't mean that women are less intelligent, if it doesn't mean that women are less emotionally stable or they're less valuable, what does it mean when Peter says that women are the weaker partner in the marriage? Well, that word translated partner, it comes from a Greek word that actually speaks of like a, a jar or a vessel, some kind of container, and in the Bible, that picture of a jar or a vessel is used over and over to speak about human beings, both male and female, and the fact that we are created by God to be used by God for His purposes. So both male and female, men and women, are designed to be used by God for His good purposes, but you see, they have differences, and the difference is that the 
woman is the weaker vessel. And what that means is simply this, that physically speaking, generally women are less strong than men in terms of physical strength. A hammer is harder than a teacup. And in the same way, generally speaking, men are stronger physically than women. So while women are strong in many, many ways, there really is the reality that there is a delicacy to their nature that the men must understand as they interact with their wives, if they're going to live with them in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And that brings us to the practical question. And this is the question that I want us to spend the most time on this morning. What does it look like, husbands, for us to live with our wives in an understanding way? What is it that we're being called to here? Well, it looks like living wisely with the wives that God has entrusted to us. And that actually means a lot of things. But I want to give us six aspects of what it looks like for us to live with our wives in an understanding way. First, it looks like this. Living with our wives in an understanding way involves a commitment to study and know them deeply. This can be a challenge for us men because we're, we're very good at working hard, right? We go to the office and we work hard. We have hobbies and we play hard. But if we're not careful, it's very easy for us to neglect the wives that God has given us and not take time to know them and study them and invest in them because we're busy doing other things. But God has wired women for intimacy. There's a desire for a relationship. There's a desire to be known. So if we're going to live with them in an understanding way, we have to be committed to knowing them, to working on our relationship with them, to understanding who they are. We must study their unique personalities. And we must understand their fears. And we must understand their spiritual strengths, the areas where they are strong in the Lord. And we also have to understand those areas where they're weak, where they're spiritually weak and in need of help. And we've got to study their talents, right, and the spiritual gifts and aptitudes that God has given them to serve. And we need to understand their goals and desires so that we can come alongside them and help them fulfill those goals and desires that God has given them. Husbands, God has not called us to be married to women in general. He's called us to be married to a particular woman with a, a particular personality and unique gifts and strengths and fears and needs. So if we're going to live with our wives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, if we're going to live in an understanding way, we must be committed to studying our wives and knowing them deeply, and that takes work, and that takes time. Second, living with our wives in an understanding way means that we're to be sensitive to our wives' deepest physical and emotional needs. We cannot neglect our wives. We cannot neglect their physical needs, nor can we neglect their emotional needs and live in a way that is pleasing to God. Instead, we're called to nourish and cherish our wives. One of the things that I wish the men and, world, men and women of this world understood about Christianity is that the husband is called over and over and over to love and to nourish and to cherish and to pour out his life for his bride. That's what we read in Ephesians 5. Verse 28 to 30, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Do you see how others focus that love is? That's what's so countercultural, because right now, here's the marriage advice that's being given to men and women. Hey, you guys are equal. What that means is you better fight to get your share. You make sure that he doesn't step on you, wife. You make sure that she doesn't step on you, husband. And what does the marriage advice of our day do? It sets you in two corners of the boxing ring, and it says, now duke it out and figure out how this is going to work. 
And so instead of there being this, let me lay down my life for you and serve you, there is this protectiveness that's built into the relationship where the wife feels like she has to protect herself and protect her rights or else she's not getting what she deserves. And the husband feels like he needs to protect himself and his rights or he's not getting what he deserves. And brothers and sisters, you have to understand it's the opposite of biblical wisdom. It's Satan's wisdom. And it leads to fighting. And it doesn't matter how many therapists tell us that people are happier living that way. There sure is an awful lot of divorce in our day for so many people being happy. Third, living with our wives in an understanding way looks like avoiding harshness as we lead them. This gets back to that weaker partner reality. Here's the reality, men. Uh, generally speaking, we are physically larger and stronger. And so if it just came down to a matter of brute force, we could push our wives around. We could intimidate them until, you know, to get them to do what we want. Sadly, some men do. Sadly, some men in the church think that it's godly to do that. It's not. It's evil. We should never use any form of intimidation, whether that's verbal or physical, to force our wives to do anything in the marriage. Instead, no, 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 we are called to lead with tenderness and affection. We're called to cherish them and never be harsh with them. Colossians 3, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fourth, living with their wives in an understanding way looks like protecting them from harm. Again, this gets back to this idea that the wives are the, the weaker partner, the weaker vessel in the marriage. Again, there's this responsibility that the men have in the home to protect their wives. Obviously, that would include things like physical protection, protecting them from any kind of physical harm. But it's not just physical. And you see this at the very beginning of the Bible, that men have a tendency to be apathetic about protecting their wives from spiritual danger. Adam was present as Eve was being tempted, but Adam did nothing. Men, if we're not careful, we can do the exact same thing. I do think that media and entertainment choices are some of the greatest sources of spiritual harm in our homes today. Brothers, it's piped in. And so obviously there's a lot of pornography in our culture. You see that in movies. You see that in television programs. You even see it in commercials in our day. We must protect our our wives. We must protect our children from those evil influences. Brothers, there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality in our home. But I do believe that there are other dangers. And one that I just want to talk about is the news. Now, that seems odd, doesn't it? Why, what's wrong with watching the news? Well, I do think it can be a source of spiritual danger. How so? Because many men and women find themselves to be news junkies where what they do throughout the day is they're constantly absorbing the news and constantly taking in the news and taking in the news. And, and what's the news filled with? Is the news filled with uplifting and bright and happy stories about how good things are? No, the, the news is an ongoing cacophony of horror all over the world. Every bad thing that happens anywhere is now brought into our homes, or if you have a phone set up, it will actually ping you and let you know that you can read the next bad story about the next bad thing that has happened somewhere in the world. And we have to understand that there's an effect to this. Look, this, is, this, this kind of exposure to constant negativity is something that is having an emotional impact. It is having an emotional impact. It is unprecedented. That's a word that's used much in our day. It is unprecedented or unparalleled that we would be experiencing so much of the tragedy of this broken world. So husbands, if you find that your wives are being crushed by the emotional weight 
of taking in too much bad news protect them? How? Turn off the TV. Gently talk with them about it and encourage them to stop taking in so much negative commentary. We're not called to think about every possible evil thing that could happen in the Christian life. We're called to set our minds on things that are good and pure and true and praiseworthy and virtuous. And men, we have a responsibility in our homes to help our wives think well about that. And we have a responsibility for our own hearts. If we're wandering around all week long, grumbling about the most recent negative news headline, maybe that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. Instead, let's be thoughtful, intelligent Christians. Let's keep in track. Yeah, I know what's going on. I kind of know what's going on. But let's not give our souls to this. Let's give our souls to God. Let me put it in a different way. God is big enough to handle all the evil of this world. He can handle it. His shoulders are broad enough to handle all the evil of this world. Brothers and sisters, our shoulders are not broad enough. We're not designed to carry the burden. We should not be carrying the burden. Instead, we should be casting our cares on God. We should be moving forward, thinking good thoughts, and doing good deeds. And that should mark our, our homes. It should mark our lives. Men, we have a responsibility. Listen, we have a responsibility to make sure that our wives are not being crushed. That's our responsibility. Fifth, living with our wives in an understanding way means that we must be committed to leading in the home. Now, our culture may despise the idea that God has entrusted leadership to men in the home, but he has. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. And so, husbands, we will be held accountable by God based on the way that we lead. Do we abdicate our responsibility or do we pursue it? Are we harsh with our wives or are we gentle and nourishing and cherishing towards them? We will give an account for our leadership in the homes, and we should be leading our homes to be marked by holiness and by stability. Holiness and stability. In terms of holiness, we should be committed to leading our homes so that Christ, so that God is at the center of our homes. That looks like a faithful commitment to being present with the people of God on Sunday mornings when we gather as a church to worship, a commitment to being there. We live in a day when many families are committed to their children's sports teams, we need to be different. We need to value the things that God values. This looks like spending intentional time in God's word with our wives. We're called to be like Jesus. What does Jesus do in Ephesians 5? Seth read that for us earlier. Jesus washes his bride with the word. Brothers, let me just ask you, how can we do that? How can we follow Jesus in that if we never read God's word and pray with our wives? How can we do that? Well, let's be, let's be men. Let's be husbands that lead our homes in holiness by leading our wives spiritually. Pursuing holiness also looks like humbly confessing our sin to our wives and our children and asking them for forgiveness. What we don't want to do as men is teach our wives or, or just kind of, you know, they know better anyways, but kind of put on, put on a front that, hey, we've got it all together and we're perfectly arrived. And we don't want to teach our children that Jesus didn't come to save sinners. He came to save the righteous. No, that's not true. Jesus came to save sinners. And so we need to be those that will humble ourselves before our wives and our children and confess our sins when we sin against them and ask for their forgiveness and ask them to pray for us so that we would grow and be like Christ. So husband, here's a diagnostic question. What is at the center of your home right now? Is it God or is it something else? Uh, maybe it's work. 
Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's success. What's at the center of our homes? Brothers, our wives need us to lead our homes so that Christ is at the center of what we do as a family. In terms of stability, men, we must be committed to providing well for the physical and emotional well-being of our family. We're not all going to make the same salary. We're not all going to live in the same neighborhood. But we can, by God's grace, all have the same commitment that we will do everything in our power by God's grace to provide what our families need. And our wives need that kind of stability to know that that's in our hearts to do that, so that even if our wives work outside of the home, they know that we are committed before God to doing whatever is necessary to provide for the physical needs of our family. Young men who desire marriage, let me speak to you at this point. You're you're not married yet. God has not yet entrusted you with that good gift of a spouse. But even now, you should be preparing to lead a wife. And that looks like something. That looks like being a man that knows God's word. It, It looks like serving in the church. It looks like blessing other people. It looks like giving yourself away for the good of others. It looks like learning the discipline of working hard now. Young men, you're being discipled by the world to pursue endless pleasure. You have to understand that. The video games, they never end. You never conquer enough worlds that don't matter in video games. It's on and on. The Facebook stream, Snapchat feed, whatever you would call those things, they never end either. They just go on and on. We're being discipled that we should be those that should pursue our own pleasure. But if we're discipled into pursuing pleasure, we're not going to be able to serve our wives and children well because that's hard and it takes hard work. So may God bless you, young men. And let me encourage you, find an older man who can speak into your life. Don't just spend time with people your own age. Praise God that there are people your own age. That's wonderful. But find an older man who's walked with the Lord longer than you have and let him speak into your life about what it means to follow God as a man. Six, living with our wives in an understanding ways involves patterning our marriage after the gospel. This is really the heart of what we're talking about. That's why Seth read the passage he did earlier in the service here. He lays out for us in Ephesians 5. Paul lays out for us in Ephesians 5 the role for the wives and the husbands. And do you notice that both have to give their lives away? Why? They have to give their lives away because that's what Jesus did. That's what the gospel is about. He's a servant. And so the husband must be someone who understands his role to be not to be served by others, but to be like Jesus And to serve others, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many brothers above all else. It is the gospel that must shape and master our hearts if we're going to live in a way that would be pleasing to God as it relates to our wives. So what is the gospel? Well, it's the good news, isn't it? That's what the word means. The word just means good news. It's good news of a Savior who came to rescue broken and rebellious sinners who turned from him. God created this world. He created the world good. He made us in his image. He wanted us to have a deep relationship with him that would be marked by love and by service and by walking in fellowship with him. But our first parents, they turned away from God. They thought it would be better to live for themselves. They thought it would be better for them to build their own reality, to live according to their own truth. And so they did that. They rebelled against God's law and decided that they could make better laws for themselves 
And that is the essence of sin, and we sinned in them. And because we've come from them, we've all inherited that same kind of sinful nature and tendency to turn away from God and to pursue me and self, and how can I self-actualize, and how can I promote myself, and how can I express myself, and how can I put myself forward so that I'm an authentic person. And it leads to all kinds of sin and brokenness in relationship. Because why? Because everyone's trying to be the center. Everyone's trying to be God. And you can't have more than one God in a universe or there's warfare. There's all kinds of brokenness that sin has brought into this world. But, but the most significant aspect of sin is that sin brings us under the judgment of God. So God is a holy God. He's a, a good God. But he's also, because he's good, he's a God who will judge evil. We do not want a God who will not judge evil. We want a God who judges evil because that is a just God. That's the only kind of God that's worthy of praising and worshiping, and that's who God is. And if we were to stand before him in ourselves and we were to give an account for our life, no one in this room and no one in the world would be able to stand before the searching, holy gaze of God. We would all be found guilty of rebellion against him, and we would be punished. And so it seems like Christianity teaches this message that's bad news. But no, then you have the gospel. The gospel is good news, and it's good news that God himself has taken it upon himself to do for us what we could not do. God the Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God came to live a life of love and service and obedience and honor for his heavenly Father, friend, because you and I cannot do that. We have failed to do that, but Jesus did it perfectly. And then at the right moment, he laid down his life as a sacrifice on the cross. Why did he die? He did it on purpose. Just read the gospel and see the way he sets his face towards Jerusalem because he came to die as a sacrifice for sinners. On the cross, he lays out this sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. He bears in himself the wrath of God against the sin of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He dies but then he rises from the dead, showing that God accepted that perfect sacrifice. And the gospel is that if you will turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, and Jesus alone, Jesus becomes your Savior. His perfect life is credited to your account before the the courtroom of God. You are acquitted of all sin. And it's just as if you live Jesus' perfect life. You have to understand the message of Christianity is that salvation is a free gift that God gives. And it's offered to you this morning. Even now, the call of the gospel is that you would turn from your sin and living for yourself and instead put your, your trust in Jesus who is the Savior that God has provided for sinners. Uh, We'd love for you to do that this morning. If you have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you about those questions. It's good to have honest questions. It's good to think deeply about these things because we will one day stand before God. But husbands, thinking about this passage, how do we take the gospel and apply it to our marriage? Well, in this way, we look to Jesus. Look at the magnificent love that we've just talked about. Look at his willingness to give and serve and pour his life out for the good of others. That's what we're called to, men. We're called to that kind of life that we would give and serve and lay down our lives in particular for one person, the bride that God has entrusted to us. That's the way that we'll be able to live with them in an understanding way by studying and knowing them deeply and being sensitive to their deepest needs and avoiding harshness and protecting them from harm 
and leading in the home and then patterning our home after the gospel. That's how we'll be able to do this. It's by looking to Jesus. Brothers, listen, what a high calling. Who isn't convicted? Which of us doesn't see countless ways that our performance falls short of what Christ has done? Well, what do we do with that? We go to Jesus. Yeah, and we remember that his sacrifice and his righteousness is ours even now. And we remember that he forgives when we repent. And we remember that his spirit, the very spirit of God, lives within us, empowering us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Uh, So we depend on God. We trust in God. We glory in the gospel. Verse 7, though, it has even more to teach us about the way that husbands are to live with their wives. Look at the kind of the middle part of verse 7. You see this second main thrust that Peter has in this verse for husbands. Husbands are to show honor to their wives because they are co-heirs of the grace of life. That's what Peter says there. Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. That word honor there, it speaks of value. Uh, it, it speaks of price. It speaks of preciousness. The phrase co-heirs of the grace of life refers to the fact that before God, both both men and women, Christian husbands and Christian wives, are equal, and they're equal in this way, they are equally heirs of heaven, so that we have a shared destiny. It's the same destiny. We will be with God forever because we are in Christ. And Peter is calling on Christian husbands to acknowledge in their relationship with their wives that they have beside them an heir of heaven, just as much an heir of heaven as they are, And now we're called to honor our wives as those who are heirs of heaven. We're to show honor to them. Really, we're being commanded to value our wives, to esteem them as precious because they are precious. Yeah, Proverbs 18, verse 22 says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So, so what does it look like practically to honor our wives, to show them that we view them as precious? Well, it, it refers to, or it should look like anyways, regularly speaking words of affirmation and gratitude into her life. Uh, if you're like me, you don't say everything that's going through your mind, right? You just kind of think, okay, maybe I should say that, maybe I shouldn't. The problem for us men is often we don't say enough. And we should regularly be affirming and thanking God publicly for the good gift that he has given us in our brides. That should be something that should mark our marriages. It looks like honoring your wife in public and listen, never, ever speaking badly about your wife in public. There's this nasty, terrible thing you see in sitcoms where the husbands and the wives go to war before us discipling us into word relationships where we're cutting one another down and showing how clever and wise we are. It just, brothers, it just should never happen. Uh, If you love your wife, if there's an issue with your wife, you lovingly go to your wife in private. You have plenty of time to do that. You don't air the dirty laundry, if you will, before other people. No, we should never do that. Instead, listen, Christ fellowship. Let's be a church where it is just really normal for the husbands to talk about the good gifts that their wives are and how blessed we are to be married to the the wife, to the woman that God has given to us. It looks like having an attitude of respect towards your wife, making sure that you're 
not more polite to your boss at work than you are to the wife of your youth. It looks like sacrificing your time and energy for her physical, spiritual, emotional good. It looks like continuing to date your wife after you are married. It's easy to get out of that habit, but it's important that we would continue to invest in them in that way. I love what Matthew Henry said about the way that husbands should relate to their wives. He said, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That's good, isn't it? Uh, So men, may God help us to value our wives and protect them and love them because they are precious. Now, before we move on, I want us just to make one more observation from this first part of verse 7. I want us to think carefully about the fact that men and women are different, but they are of equal worth before God because that is the claim of Christianity. You have to understand, even even the article I read at the beginning, you have to understand people are making truth claims. They're saying that this is what's true. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, that the Bible makes truth claims about reality and about what's true. And the Bible says that even though men and women are different, they are equal in worth and dignity. Many people, including gender theorists or many gender theorists, look at Christianity and they understand it to be misogynistic because Christianity and the Bible very clearly teaches that there are differences between men and women, but they're completely wrong. You see, the Bible doesn't teach that men are better than women. The Bible teaches that both are equal, equal in worth and dignity before God. You see that, listen, in the very first chapter of the Bible, right? In creation, God creates male and female, man and woman, and he creates them equally in the image of God, of equal worth before him. And so as we live through this life, we are of equal worth before God as men and women made in his image. And then in our verse for study this morning, in in verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, We see that although men and women are physically different, in Christ both are heirs of eternal glory. Yeah, we're both heirs of heaven, and so we are spiritually equal in that sense as well. So we will be equal in this life, and the Bible teaches us that we will be equal before God forever and ever and ever. That's the truth claim of the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, if you're not a Christian, I wonder why you think that men and women are equal. It's really not enough to say, well, I want it to be that way. We should actually have a reason for believing what we believe. So why do you believe that men and women are equal? I think it's an important question. Yeah, particularly those that do not believe in God, they they would struggle, I think, at this point. I mean, atheists have embraced the kind of the bloody survival of the fittest. And it's very evident to us that that men are just as smart as women. There's an equality there in intelligence. But there's also a reality that physically speaking, Men are actually, generally speaking, stronger than women. So if you embrace survival of the fittest, if you embrace this kind of evolutionary theory of the world, what is your philosophical basis for believing that men and women are equal? Oh, it's at this point that we look at this book, which is God's book, and we just tell you, friend, there's truth here that explains all the difficult questions you will ever run into in this life. And it talks about this. And it tells us that men and women are created by God in his image, distinct, different, different uses, and yet before God, perfectly equal in worth and dignity. If you've never read the Bible, we'd encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful way to have intellectual integrity is not to listen to what a professor tells you about the Bible, 
but actually to read it for yourself. And you have a good reason to read the Bible because it's actually the, the, the most produced book in the history of the world. So more people have read it, and you should read it. And you'll find that it's so valuable. And you'll find that it's filled with the truth of God. And if you want someone to read the Bible with you, we would love to do that. We'd love to just talk with you and walk with you as you read God's word with us. There's a, another point, though, more briefly. That's why I warned you ahead of time. There's another point that we want to look at this morning. The reason Christian husbands should obey God's instruction. Look at the last part of verse 7. This is what Peter says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Brothers, sisters, you're reading your Bible through the week. Watch the so that. You see, there's a logic here, and the Bible's teaching you how to think God's thoughts after him. There's a reason why Christian husbands should obey God's instruction, but actually the reason doesn't need much explanation, does it? Yeah, it means what it says. It means that God cares very deeply about the way that husbands, Christian husbands, would treat their brides. He takes that seriously for this reason, because Christian wives are his daughters, and he loves his daughters, and he wants his daughters to be well cared for. And he's not pleased when his daughters are mistreated by their husbands. How do we know that God isn't pleased? Well, as an act of discipline, he withholds his answer and his blessing from the prayers of the man who is mistreating his wife. His husband here is being cut off, as it were, from divine blessing for a season as he's being chastened because of the sin, the unrepentant sin that's in his life. I like what Wayne Grudem said about this in his commentary. He said, no Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. So husband, let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Is it vibrant? Do you see God answering prayers? Or does, does maybe it feel like there's a barrier there? And like nothing's actually happening. Well, maybe there's a problem. And maybe the problem is what Peter's pointing to here. So here's my next question. How's your marriage? How are you treating the wife that God has entrusted to you? Are you living with her in an understanding way? Are you showing her honor as a co-heir of eternal life? That, that may be the issue. So if you're struggling in your marriage, what should you do? Brother, right now, you should repent. Right now, before God, you should confess the ways that you are not honoring the bride that he's given you. And you should turn away from that sin. And you should pursue investing in her. And if you need help with that, and by the way, at points in our lives, we all need help. Uh, it's okay not to be okay. If you need help with that, well, that's why you have the local church where you have brothers who can come alongside you and pray with you and disciple you and talk with you and counsel you and help you so that your marriage is what it should be. And God would have that, and he will bless you as you pursue that. Don't you want God to hear your prayers? Always oh, telling us how we can have that. Well, look at verse 7. Here we see God's instruction for husbands. Many in our culture have abandoned the idea that there are two genders, male and female. And they hate the idea that there are different roles for husbands and wives in marriage. But as Christians, we know that the Bible contains the very wisdom of God. 
the creator knows best how his creation should function. And as we listen to his word, we will be blessed. So brothers, may God help us. May he help us love the brides he's entrusted to us even this week. Let's pray.